founded at the beginning of the UK lockdown. A bit lit is about conversation, celebrating and exploring theatre, literature and creative work across all periods and of all kinds. We've talked to professional wrestlers and about Ghostbusters and medieval sex positivity. We've looked at the histories of race, gender and sexuality. We followed migrating coconuts and the history of wine and cheese. We've gone from Jane Austen and Shakespeare to EastEnders via the history of early television, young adult fiction, photography, animation and documentary making. And with over 100 films already, many other subjects as well. Join the conversations at our website, abitlit.co or on YouTube and follow us on Twitter at abitlit. Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of A Bit Lit. My name's Tom Harrison and I'm leading the discussion today on satire. And I'm really pleased to uh, welcome my guest, Becky Yearling today, who is going to speak to me about uh, her ideas on, on satire and the early modern stage. So without further ado, Becky, hello once again. Hello. Um, would you mind just giving us an introduction to yourself and to your work, please? Yes, certainly. So I'm Becky Yearling. I teach at the University of Kiel. Um, my area is Renaissance literature, particularly drama. And within the drama of the Renaissance, particularly, I'm interested in exploring audiences. So audiences have been the theme that have gone through all my research so far. Um, I started off being interested in stage satire, which is obviously what we're going to talk about today, um, with my first book on that being um, Ben Johnson, John Marston and early modern drama, Satire and the Audience. And I'm interested in satire as a form that has a particular quite complicated relationship with its audience. The question of, is it about entertaining the audience? Is it about reforming the audience? Quite How, how does the text and the, the recipient, how do they interact? Um, and I'm now moving on from that in, in my research. Um, now I'm still thinking about audiences, but in this case, uh, moving on to look particularly at the plays of Shakespeare and focusing on the violence in plays. So think about why did audiences enjoy watching violence? How did they interpret it? Um, were there different ways of interpreting it? And what, what are the factors that might have shaped that audience response? Mm. And of course, yeah, the, the idea of um, violence is... Uh, on stage and, and off stage in this period is topic enough for another discussion, isn't it? Um, but just to, to circle back to um, the, uh, the point you make about text and its relationship with audience and particularly satire. Um, obviously, as, as you mentioned, Becky, we're going to be talking today about uh, stage satire more than anything, but then uh, alongside the plays that, that we might be talking about by Johnson, Marston, etc., we've also got this, this huge array of, um, of verse satire or, you know, prose satire to a lesser extent uh, that, was, that was swirling around in the period. And, and some of the, the writers, Marston, for instance, wrote both verse satire and um, um, stage satire. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting mixture, isn't it? And what we might think as being two quite separate things, um, modern readers might think verse satire is quite separate to to stage set, uh, satire. Um, actually, in the minds of writers, that they, they perhaps weren't that 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 distinct, that different. Um, so just to, <laughs> that was a very long winded uh, intro into my question on audience. Do you detect a um, a difference in how 
um, audiences are addressed or regarded in uh, the stage satires of, say, Johnston, uh, Johnson or Marston, or uh, the verse satires that were around at the same time. You know, so the written satire and the stage satire, is there a, a different way in which they regard audiences? Yeah, but I think there are quite a lot of fundamental differences. I mean, part of the difference is just the difference in reading something and seeing it on the stage mm. makes a big difference. That in the verse satires being written at the time tend to be done in the first person by a single speaker. And that single speaker might, they're often quite changeable speakers. Sometimes they're angry, sometimes they're, they're more relaxed about the kind of things they're criticising. Um, but they are the kind of voice of authority within the text. So you see everything through their eyes. They're able to guide the audience quite a lot, telling them what, telling them what to think, basically. Mm. Whereas with stage satire, that question of authority becomes much more complicated because there isn't, obviously, in a, in a play, that same kind of authority. You might have characters who have more or less authorities. For example, a prologue who often takes the role in some sense of the author, um, also, mm. or author surrogate talking to the audience might be seen as having a bit more authority than just a, a regular character in the play. But even so, within a play, you get the characters. You get, there's a sense more that you can judge for yourself, I think, as the audience to a play. You can see characters interacting. You can decide, is this person ridiculous or are they not? Should they be condemned mm. or should they not? In a way that you can't really do with first satire. Mm. Yeah, and... and um... On a really basic um, experiential level, the focus is different, isn't it, between stage satire and and um, uh, verse satire, or you know, I'll, I'll say uh, written satire just to, just for ease, because as 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 you mentioned, Becky, you can look at different parts of the stage, can't you? You can focus on diff different characters. So whereas in uh, you know, uh, uh, an epigram by by Johnson or uh, a satire by Marston or uh, or Dunn or you know one of those writers you've got one perspective uh, more or less you've got the the, the writer's perspective through which to view um, uh, the, the particular version of the world on stage you've got all these different things going on and depending on where you focus at any one time. Um, that that's that's your reading of that scene and of, of that moment so your ex well my view is that your experience of it can be quite different to the experience of engaging with a text maybe that's a bit too um uh, simplistic on my part maybe i'm just too much of a, a fan of the theatrical satire um but just on this on this point actually i feel like i put the the cart be before the horse with this what are your ideas, Becky, on what satire actually is? What did it mean in the period we're talking about? Um, that's, that, that in itself is quite a big question. Um, I think with one of the things with satire has always been the, the difficulties in drawing clear lines around it and, and saying kind of where it starts and where it stops. And I think at the heart of satire, there's pretty much always the idea of mocking or critiquing something that the satirist thinks is wrong with the world. So that can be big things. It can be whole philosophical beliefs or institutions or political systems or things like that. Or it can be very small things like people liking new clothes too much or spe speaking in affected ways or, or kind of li little social issues. Um, but it's generally about that there's, there's something wrong with them, something that, that should be corrected. And I think that idea of correction feels really important to me. 
Um, and then Sasha, beyond that, I think the usual way of thinking of it is as a spectrum. So you've got at the one end the satires, which I suppose you've got invective at one end, and there's some debate about whether invective should be considered a form of satire or not. Invective being harsh critique when you are just having a go at something, you're saying this is awful. Often you're doing it in personal terms, you're certainly doing it in terms designed to hurt. Mm. And some people would argue it's not satire, if it's just designed to hurt, satire should be about correcting things. But some people would argue that, that invective is a form of satire. So at the one end you've got just straight attack, basically. And at the other end of the spectrum then, you move probably more into something like comedy, where comedy also is often about laughing at people behaving foolishly. But I think probably the difference between a comedy and a satire at that end of the scale would be, again, the corrective impulse in satire. To give an example, I think A Midsummer Night's Dream, the young lovers in the forest, in some ways are ridiculous. You could you perhaps see that there's a, a note of satire in there about love makes people act madly. Mm. But I don't think the audience are being told, you should disapprove of these people, they should be corrected in some way. I think it's much more affectionate than that. Whereas I think if, if, if that moment was a, a satire, there'd be much more sense of they need to be put right, they need to be educated in some way, brought out of their, their folly. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison to make because we don't often think about uh, Shakespeare as being a particularly satirical writer, do we? There are obviously satirical moments in his texts, but um, uh, famously, he doesn't seem to have engaged in the sort of writing that um, people like Johnson Marston uh, seem to do in the, in the so-called War of the Theatres. Um, but the Midsummer Night's Dream thing, just to, to go back to that, the, uh, that, that satire or, or you know, the, the, the satirical flavour in the presentation of the lovers is, is definitely there, isn't it? But also perhaps there's um, a satire on audiences at the end with the, the mechanicals uh, where we've, we've got the, uh, the nobles watching this Mechanicals performance. And even though the Mechanicals, uh, Pyramus and Thisbe, is a, is, a complete, um, is a complete disaster, really, in many, many respects, the reaction of the audience seems to be, uh, well, whenever I watch it, uh, watch that scene, I'm more irritated by the reaction of those onstage audience members than I am offended by the, you know, the lack of skill of the, of the actors. So that's, that, that really keys into the, uh, the point that you were making about audiences being uh, really central to, to, to satire and satire's purpose. Mm. And I think also one of the interesting things about, think about the, the dreaming context of, of satire is, um, again, I think that idea that the play can, can have an effect on audiences, can, can be a sort of magical thing, when it works mm. because obviously the end of that says you, you, you can think of this as just a dream a passing fantasy something that has no real substance or you can think of it as a kind of genuine emotional experience that can transform people that can make people's lives different in some way i think there's a sort mm. of sense of that at the end of a midsummer night's dream you, if, if you don't like it you can just think this is this this was just a, a dream but if, if you do like it there is that kind of sense that, that, that theatre can be, can be magical. And I think that's one of the things that comes in a lot to Johnson's satires. Mm. Um, obviously, with something like The Alchemist, where I think there's that, that fundamental metaphor of transformation in The Alchemist. I think the, the bitlet um, discussion on The Alchemist a few weeks ago talked about that aspect. Mm. The play is all about people who want to transform themselves. And again, there's the kind of question of where the audience fits in in that transformation. Are the audience there... 
they've given their money, but actually they're just going to go away the same people as they always were. It's all been a con game. Or is there a sense that if they engage seriously with the fiction, they might learn something, they might genuinely be transformed and become better people as a result of exposure to, in that case, the satire of the play? Yeah, um, and that is, and with, with with Johnson in mind, that um, that keys into the the uh, the position that um, uh, the Roman writer Horace had that literature should profit and delight. So it should teach a lesson, and it should also um, entertain audiences in equal measure. And there is a lot of uh, sort of uh, quick movements, writers moving quickly between uh, these. Uh, the impression that what they're doing is just a, a, a sort of entertainment. It's just a confection that people can uh, enjoy and not take anything uh, from. Uh, but also at the same time, there's, there's an undercurrent of, of something else that's going on. And that's something that, that Johnson and Marston definitely uh, engage with and, and seem to play a lot of games, um, games with as well. You know, uh, um, I know that you've written uh, previously about how Marston always seems to want to wrong foot his audience in terms of uh, generic expectations and, and tone. And there's a lot of uh, moments in his plays when we can't quite work out what's going on because uh, a supposedly comic scene is suddenly turned on its head and becomes tragic or, you know, a character that was previously um, admirable suddenly does something that's, that's, that's horrendous. And, um, so do you think Marston is particularly representative of uh, the particular version of satire of the, of the say, late 16th century? Or do you think he's out on a limb doing something completely bizarre and unusual? Well, I think that question of what is satire for and the question of... Um, Essentially, does it have one audience or two audiences? I, th I think it's, it's something that preoccupies a lot of satirists. It's not just Marston. We're going right back into the classical satirists. Mm. So I think the, the worry about complacency within satire is there, certainly in Johnson as well as Matt Marston, that idea that the audience might just be sitting there thinking, this is all very funny, I'm having a nice time. Those people on stage are ridiculous. They're nothing like me. I'm better than them so I can laugh at them. Mm. And Johnson, of course, is, is very eager not to allow that kind of complacency, that kind of stepping back from the fiction. He keeps saying to his audience, this is about you, remember that. Um, and and I, I think that that's something that is a technique that's also used in the, the classical verse satirists and so on of saying, um, you, again, you, you may be laughing at these, these comical characters, but your own name could be inserted at, at this point. Um, this could just be a, a portrait of you and, and you're not recognising it at the moment. Yeah, and this is something, um, uh, my, my own sort of research interests tap into this because um, that is the idea of, um, uh, com you know, the worries about complacency and the reflexive nature of satire is something that comes up again and again in the, um, in, in the Roman satirists. And just to... Um, um, to tell or remind um, uh, viewers about Roman verse satire and its importance in, in the early modern period. R roughly speaking, I think we can agree, Becky, that like, roughly uh, there were sort of two opposing poles of satire in the period. One of them was occupied by a satirist called Juvenal, who wrote uh, 
very sort of biting, caustic satires that uh, that attacks people and seems to be full of anger and vitriol and all that sort of all that sort of fun stuff, <laughs> essentially. And at the other end, there's uh, a, 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 a Horace, who I've already mentioned, who is a writer uh, prior to juvenile that, that writes in a more um, ironic, detached, genial way, but is still exposing um, issues in their society. And one of the, um, one of the more famous um, satires by Horace opens with a, uh, a picture of people who essentially don't, don't like uh, their lot in life. It's a sort of grass is always greener uh, sort of depiction where they talk about, um, uh, say, a soldier wishes that he had a different life, and a farmer says, "Oh well, a soldier's got a soldier's got it great. A soldier can just rush into battle and die or gain glory, and you know, then it's all over. That's not the real hard grind, um, and, and and so on and so forth." But then, uh, towards the end of the satire the voice suddenly changes, the, the perspective suddenly changes. And I've got the quote in front of me. I'm not, you know, just straight from my head. Um, the, uh, the persona says, what are you laughing at? Change the name and you are the subject of the story. And that's, that's a really interesting moment in that satire because as, as you say, Becky, it's that, it's that moment of acknowledgement from, uh, from the writer that actually you can just swap in any person into that situation we all have that um dissatisfaction with our lives and you know you know uh uh envious tendencies when we look at how other people are living and that's um and you know that's one of the things that's really interesting and we see time and time again in in later satires and i suppose as well um that's just to go back again to a point you made earlier about verse satire having a sort of unified approach. One of the really interesting things about satire is that actually we do get voices intruding into the satire and we can't quite work out all the time whether it's, uh, you know, the, the dominant persona of the of, of the, the the satire so the horace persona or whether it's some some other character that's just snuck in and marston seems to do that quite a lot doesn't he in his poems and in his uh, in his drama he does do that and, and also i think with marston and there's also the further complication of the inherent instability of the satirist you're never quite sure whether the satiric voice is sincere in what he's saying or whether he's kind of playing a game playing the role of an angry satirist where he's not really. Um, because certainly Marston ends, he's got two volumes of verse satire that he writes early in his career. And he ends the second one saying, although I seem to be angry when I was writing these, yet I have, um, I have written sporting merriment, I think is what he says. So it's the idea the whole thing was a kind of, I don't know, it raises questions, you know, was this a sort of parody of satire writing? Was the joke actually on the satirist all along rather than on all the people he was critiquing? Yeah. Was he making fun of the person who thinks it is their job to fix society? Mm. So, yeah, that, that's, that sense of instability of different voices, of different perspectives coming in, um, yeah, seems to be something that, that fascinated him. And you get that, that constant hall of mirrors effect, don't you, where um, if, you, if you have this, this pose at the end, oh, this, that was just sporting merriment, you know, why would you, why would you think anything else other than that? You know, only a foolish person would think that this was real satire it changes or it encourages you to change your opinion but then at the same time you've got this moment where you think well actually is there is there another joke being played here and 
if I fall into the into the trap of thinking it's a joke being played on me, maybe I'm not taking it uh, as as sporting merriment, and you know, and so on and so forth. It just infinitely uh, goes goes on and on. Um, so yes, yeah. So Marston seems to be particularly uh, good at that. Johnson seems to be <laughs> particularly um, particularly interested in that sort of sort of pose and um you mentioned the alchemist and you and um i know that you've written on uh johnson's earlier works what sort of differences do you detect between uh or across johnson's career so if if we think very broadly johnson starts with um comedies that are more obviously satirical a lot of people view them as being written in the juvenalian mode so more attack attack worthy than anything else but then he seems to shift into into something else so do you do you have any thoughts on that yourself becky on 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 that movement yes well i think with johnson there was always a kind of tension in him between an attraction to quite an authoritarian position on satire i think he he really liked the idea of the satirist it's going back to the really early satiric models um of the very very early greek um invective writers, the, amb- the ambicists, um, people like Archilochus. And Archilochus, I mean, he, um, Archilochus comes up in the apologetical dialogue that was attached to the, the print edition of Poetas, the Johnson's, one of Johnson's early plays. And in that he talks about um, how, Johnson talks about how he would um, like to be able to, to, to rhyme people to death, armed with Archilochus's fury. And Archilochus was, was supposed to have been this, this very early Greek drama, um, Greek um, poetry writer who was able, he, he drove, I think it was his ex-fiancée and his ex-father and her father um, to suicide through his verses. So that idea of being this kind of satirist who could just have, have that kind of almost visceral physical power over the bodies of other people, could control them, could punish them, could hurt them, could tell them what to do, how to think. I think there's quite a strong impulse towards that in some of Johnson, but there's also a kind of sense that Audiences are not necessarily going to like that mm. um, of being attacked, being set upon, being humiliated in front of other people, those kinds of things. Mm. So I think I, I would see Johnson's development as being initially trying to be more authoritarian, telling people really, basically giving people two options and saying, these are idiots and these are good people and you can choose which camp you want to belong to. Yeah. And it's not very complicated in some ways. I mean, the plays themselves, the early, the early plays are different from each other and in their own way, quite experimental, quite, quite interesting. But I think satirically, they're not particularly complicated. They do tend to give you just, there is no debate about who is a fool and who is a wise man for, for the most part in those mm. plays. Um, and Johnson just kind of tells the audience they should clearly want to be with the wise men, they shouldn't want to be like the fools. And I think as Johnson goes on, he starts to become less authoritarian. I don't think that urge ever totally left him, but I think he, he starts to become more playful, more inclined to kind of do Marstonian things, to kind of trick the audience, make the audience think they're watching one kind of drama and then pull the rug out from under their feet later on. Um, set up things that seem to be serious, but then they turn out to be jokes. And I think that's the kind of thing we see developing from, in the kind of comedies that are seen often as, as Johnson's most most important ones, best ones, mm. um, things like Volpone and The Alchemist um, and Bartholomew Fair. I think they're, they're, they're much more, they're much less confrontational satire mm. from that point of view. 
And yeah, and ironically, as a result, they seem to have a more lasting impression on readers and audiences. People seem to want to engage with those later plays much more than the earlier ones. Uh, for presumably for that very reason that people don't like being being lectured to really do they uh, particularly when you're going to the theatre and paying whatever it is to, to go and stand there and just be told oh well you're you're an idiot or you know you're a wise person and and so on um just on that on that note um there's there's often a um uh I don't know whether you'd say it's a criticism or, you know, a comment on satire that it's, it's very, very good at pulling down, but not very good at, at building up. So, uh, you know, characters and, and writers are, you know, are able to identify flaws in, uh, in their society and in other people, but they, they're not able to, to remove the moat from their own eye, if you will. Um, do you think that is a, um, that, that, the destructive quality of satire, as opposed to the uh, the constructive, do you think that's a um, a problem with the, with the the with the genre, if we can call it a genre, or is it something that is actually quite useful? Um, and I think, in general, the satire just the fact that you're satirising something in the first place suggests that there is a standard by which you're satirising it. So if you're saying this person is, again, to take a very trivial example, if you're saying this person is spending all their money on new clothes, obsessed with their appearance, it's a waste of their money, it's a waste of their life to, to be bothered with something so, so minor, then you're obviously implying that a better person would be somebody who treated clothes as less important. So there is, I think, always... I think satire doesn't work unless there's some kind of sense of the behaviour is wrong... Yeah, and, we, and therefore not not doing that behaviour would be better. Yes, you know we we could do better. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, sort of implied negatively. Yeah, uh, I think I think sometimes though satire does kind of raise those those larger questions. And I think again, Marston is particularly interested in this. The idea sometimes of worlds that have gone so mad that how do you get back to any kind of normality if everybody in a society is out of control? If there's no real figure of authority and order and reason what happens at that point? Do you just kind of accept it and go, well, this is, this is what we've got? Um, or do you battle against it? Sometimes in those places you get satirist figures who are just, just one man in a, in a world gone insane around them. And they're, they're kind of trying to sort things out, trying to say, please don't be like this. But everyone else is saying, we're having a lovely time. We're enjoying our clothes and parties and drunkenness and, and everything else. There seems no particular reason for those people to, to get back onto the straight and narrow. Yeah, in in that way, Marston seems like quite a, a playwright for our times, really, doesn't he? That he's he, he seems to he offers these these chaotic worlds where everything's turned upside down, but he doesn't he doesn't seem to offer solutions in the way that or you know a sort of outright condemnation in the way that Johnson does. We can't we can't always work out what's going to happen by the end of the the plays because uh, he uh, Marston upends things so much. Um, are there any particular uh, plays that you have in mind uh, of, of Marston's when you're when you're thinking about that sort of um, that perspective on the world? Um, I think his again fairly early play What You Will is a good example of of that. That um, What You Will is very much a society where there's the Duke in What You Will, who's you know, obviously as the authority figure within society, you would expect, you would hope, would be a, a kind of figure of, of order. Um, 
and he's not. I mean, he, he's in some ways one of the most disorderly characters in the play. He, he spends all night out partying. He comes and he, he goes to bed at noon. Um, when some petitioners come to him and, and ask him to help them out with, with some legal cases, and I think he, he lights his pipe with the, the petitions and goes out dancing. Um, and there is just that sense of, well, there is no voice of authority within, within this world. And again, you've got a satirist figure who's trying to fix things, but, but is not really able to. Mm. And I think Marston's really torn about this, because I think on the one hand, he does see the fun in all of this, that, that there is this kind of sense with, in, in him, I think, that playfulness and eccentricity are kind of part of the human condition. And it's, it's foolish to ignore them or deny them, and also, in some ways, you know, it's man's capacity for invention and fantasticness that makes him different from an animal, essentially, mm. that is the, the imagination, all those kinds of ideas. But at the same time, there's also that kind of sense of, again, this society just seems to have no sense of stability or, or anything that matters in it. And there's also a kind of depressingness about that, where, where it's just parties. And, you know, the, the title, What You Will, is very suggestive from that point of view, that it's it's whatever you want. It's that there's that there's nothing that has to be said or needs to be done or, or anything at all. It's the, the play is what you want to make of it. The world is what you want to make of it. And yeah. from one perspective, that's permissive and, and liberating. And from another perspective, that's quite worrying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very interesting that that what you will title applies to the characters and to the audience as well. Um, it goes right back to the, the point you were making earlier about. Um, about a satirist pose always being uh, on, you know, a, a satirist is always on shifting sands and always sort of saying, well, you can look at it this way, you can look at it that way, etc. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a very confusing play, isn't it? But an interesting one. Um, okay, I think we are just about coming to an end uh, of our time now. So, uh, Becky, I've, I've, I've got to ask the, the monumental question at this point uh, that... Uh, the Bitlet team have, have been uh, asking um, uh, contributors in general, what does literature mean to you? Um, I think literature is a text that you can go back to and see something else in it. So obviously there are lots of things that you can read over and over again and that they're comforting, but I think in literature you get more out of it the second time. You'll notice things you haven't noticed before. Oh, that's great. And, and I suppose that works. How, how does that work with, um, uh, with satire? How does, how does satire qualify as literature, do you think? Um, and I think with, with Marston Johnson, the fact that you know, all the things we've been talking about, the fact that it's, it's very difficult, particularly in, in mid-period Johnson and pretty much all of Marston's works, to know what you're supposed to think or, or where you should stand. Is the author a kind of friend of yours or is he a, an enemy who's trying to trick you in some way into making a fool of yourself? The fact that I, mean, I used to think that The Alchemist was a play that was quite hostile to its audience, mm. that was really out to, to make them look like idiots. And I've changed my view so much on that. I, I, mean, I teach it at the moment, so I, I read it every year at, at least once. And I've now come to see it as a play that's actually really trying hard to, to push its audience. It wants to believe in its audience. It wants its audience to respond in a way that Johnson approves of. Mm. Um, and therefore it's not trying to trick them. It's trying to make them be good spectators. Mm. While also perhaps having some cynicism about, about how, whether that will actually work, whether they will respond in the way that, that he's hoping. 
Yeah. So he's always doing that do better, be better sort of mantra in his, uh, in, in his later plays. Yes, yeah. Um, and how interesting that your, your, your engagement with that play is enacting the, the sort of things we've been talking about in, in satire. You know, you think one thing and then you think another. It's, it's, always, it's always changing, always, uh, um, always in flux. So um, that's, that's about it. Um, viewers, listeners, um, just to just to let you know, Marston and Johnson have been um, uh, uh, our particular focus for this uh, for this podcast. But there's loads and loads of uh, did I call it a podcast? It's not a podcast. YouTube broadcast. Um, uh, there are loads and loads of other writers and playwrights out there that you must, if you're interested in satire, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, get your teeth into, get interested in Thomas Nash in particular. Um, is a is a particularly good one. Uh, any any particular um, recommendations from you, Becky, for satirists? Uh, just some obvious ones. I think Erasmus and Thomas More, um, mm -hmm. particularly the praise of folly and utopia. I think an awful lot. We, we didn't talk about that today, but I think an awful lot of what's interesting about Johnson Marston comes from from the two of those, from those early humanists. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there is a wealth of material out there, playwrights, verse satire, um, prose works like uh, uh, Utopia and, and so on. So please go away and read some satirical materials, everyone. Um, and thank you very much, Becky. Great discussion and um, hope to speak to you at some point face to face. In yeah, the <laughs> thank you very much. See you later, everyone. Bye.